This episode is sponsored by Iron Galaxy. Scream like a school kid with Capsule Force, an intergalactic retro anime multiplayer game now available on PS4 and Steam. Go to CapsuleForce.com for more info. Now, Chewie, hit the hyperdrive. Coming this fall to your cable provider, a new network for a new viewer. History Channel Light. A new channel focusing on education, illumination, and none of that unpleasant decapitation. The history of our world is a vibrant, rich tapestry, and History Channel Light is going to scrub some of those bloodstains right out. History Light will provide content that focuses on the historical education you like with none of the violence or gore. History Channel Light is proud to offer a full, rich schedule of educational programs highlighting the greatest men, women, and moments in history while maintaining a deep commitment to the avoidance of violence or anything else we determine to be unpleasant. History Channel Light. Set your DVRs for our upcoming fall lineup with such stunning programs as Wagons of the Crusades Recipes of the German Occupation Mongol Prairie Dancers Tailors Throughout the Ages Catapults Unloaded, of course And please enjoy this excerpt from The World, 1938-1945 through 1945. In 1938, the leader of Germany, Adolf Hitler, authorized the invasion of Poland This was followed by a lot of other things Back in the United States, every man left behind who wasn't busy was helping to sell fun bonds or organize scrap drives to help the United States do some stuff overseas. The terrains where all of this stuff happened were not particularly conducive to stuff. Consequently, many guys found that the forests got in the way of things they were in and doing. All this top-quality educational programming and more will be available via basic cable to you, the subscriber, coming this fall. History Light. Oh, because sometimes you just prefer just the good parts. Who needs all that bad news? Not me. Or do I? Or do you? <laughs> hey, everybody. Hi. That's David Stecco. Over there, that guy with the devil-may-care attitude and the joie de vivre and the chip on his shoulder. <laughs> that's Dave Flora. That's me. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. No, no, no. That's a chipmunk. Flora, 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 Flora. It's on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to blurry photos. Uh, we rule. We f***ing rule, man. We we won't be putting uh, censored history in front of you tonight. God, no. Yeah, this is full frontal. This is the Game of Thrones of history tonight. Uh, so much so that we get to do one of our rare things that it's one of my favorites. Flora, oh. hit him with a disclaimer. Oh, oh, yeah. Tonight, we're going to have to put a disclaimer right up top. Oh, uh, so lame. Dear well, no. candy asses. Yeah. Oh yeah! He 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 just gave me the yeah. You're leaving it in. Yeah, 
No, this is it. We're we're gonna be dealing with a, a true crime mystery with a lot of graphic details. Yeah. Uh, so we had. <laughs> and do you want to guess what those are? Since you've already read the title of the episode. Shkunk, shkunk, shkunk. Hard in the paint, Broseph. <laughs> I know. Hard I know. In the paint. <laughs> uh, we're gonna advise a little listener discretion if Shkunk. that's something you'd rather not hear. It's not. I don't know if that's something I'd rather hear for the rest of the episode either. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's not a it's not an episode for the youngins. No, so. it's not. Uh, uh, if, so. if you're listening to this and and in preparation to to pass it onwards to the younger generations, then you might want to uh, pass altogether. James the Skeptical Oki, it might be time to put Count Colin to bed for this one. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, if you if you're not a fan of it's a murder details, this is a murder episode filled with filthy murder. <laughs> boy oh boy, why don't why don't you slam another uh, Coke Zero there, buddy? <laughs> hey, listen. You got two choices, <laughs> falling asleep, Dave, or the one you got. <laughs> Who do you think makes for better radio? Waka, oh, waka, man. waka. <laughs> People are still talking about uh, banging holes in Coke Zero. Hey, okay, that. that was drunk, Dave, and he's a very different animal. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we tell you about the disclaimer. Going to be a real graphic episode because we're talking about the Axeman of New Orleans. Guess what he had? A real problem. <laughs> a it was real just problem. A, a real big problem. No, yeah, this uh this this one's a uh a listener suggestion yep. and uh fascinating. We'll we'll get into to it a little bit. You know, we don't often do the old uh, ultra v violent bloody episodes. The ultra like vi- ultra violence. Mm-hmm. The- but from time to time. Yeah. They're they're interesting to take a look at. So it is. let's let's get into a, a little overview here. Tell you what you're in for. Yeah. Also, I've got a lot of information for this. So Flora read the ever loving F out of a book. So get ready because this guy is just going to be thundering on all cylinders. Yep. He's a nitro burning funny car of literary literary understanding and comprehension, and you are about to be just sucking all the fumes right out of his his audio tailpipe. I, not a word of it a lie. Wiki Wikipedia wasn't enough for this one. <laughs> oh man, I'll say this. No, we get we get blamed for this occasionally. Um, reading Wikipedia verbatim, which I mean, I know I always read it as a part of the research. It's always a good first step. I don't think we ever read it verbatim. I don't know. Maybe we do sometimes. But uh, I uh, I was doing research on this, and you know, one of the things we always do is we'll go look up YouTube videos, listen to other people who've done podcasts about it. Sure. And my God. Like podcasts where people literally just read in order the Wikipedia entry. And that's it. That is the whole episode. Yeah. I mean, we would love to bring you a podcast like that. I was just going to say, that's <laughs> what we're doing now. Do you know how easy that would be? <laughs> I would love that. But instead, we kill ourselves. We bleed for your entertainment. We break our spines on the rack of entertainment. I am Blurry Photicus. <laughs> I am Blurry Photicus. We are all Blurry Photicus. <laughs> uh, that's right. We're fighting the good fight. Let's uh, let's get into yeah, this. Let's quit jerking let's, ourselves let's off. Let's talk about it. We're going to be talking about uh, a series of attacks and murders in early 20th century New Orleans. Um, which, they, are, they were murders. <laughs> which became infamous for a variety of reasons, not the least being the number of victims. 
Uh, families were brutally assaulted in the night by an axe-wielding assailant who would then leave the weapon at the scene of the crime and vanish into the hot New Orleans night. Yeah. Oh, so damp. What makes this case particularly fascinating is, of course, the fact that the attacker, dubbed the Axeman of New Orleans, has never been identified, but also the legend that grew out of it, including perhaps the most well-known aspect, besides the weapon of choice, a letter which was published in the newspaper The Times-Picayune, purported to be written by the murderer, identifying himself as something not of this world. While there are a few... I knew it. I knew that was a boomerang. <laughs> yep. I knew that was a boomerang one. Uh, while there are you know a, me so well. a few really good theories... And guess what else, Flora? A few really not so good ones. Yes! The fact is, the attacks have never been solved as to who the attacker was and why he did it. So we'll be taking a look at the details of the attacks, the legend that it's bond, and possible suspects and motives. Could it have been a, just a crazed individual? How about a mafia hitman? What if it was Jack the Ripper? Oh, it could be. Could oh. it have? Well, could it have? We'll get into that. Could it have? Could <laughs> Or... Could it have been a demon from the depths of hell itself? Whoa, that guy's, this This is not going to make it onto history light. <laughs> no, it's not. As with any of these true crime episodes, we seek not to glorify the killer, but to understand the motives and actions. And folks who are into this genre of mystery, I, I would hope, are into it for the same reason, and ultimately seek to predict and prevent it from happening in the future as best we can, right? Yep. All right, let's get into the history timeline. The history and timeline are are pretty much one and the same in this regard. Although for the narrative, we're going to do some uh, jumping back and forth on the timeline. It makes points. it more interesting. A little bit. That's showmanship. <laughs> That's us bleeding for you. <laughs> <laughs> the info is perhaps not a hundred percent accurate, as some comes from the papers at the time. <laughs> First and foremost, the facts, ah, you really, you got to look at these things uh, that, yeah, you take them and leave them. (laughs) But we've, uh, we've tried to look for what folks have found from police reports first. And, uh, and we're going to start with the crap that's repeated just about everywhere. You try to look for info on the case. And then we're going to add some details from author Kevin McQueen from his book, The Axeman Came From Hell, (laughs) which man. That'll sell some copies. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it sounds like a 50 sci-fi movie, but it's also like, you tell me where it came from. <laughs> yeah. You get a better idea. <laughs> if, if you've heard this story before, hopefully we can, through our research, uh, provide at least something new for you. Yeah. So let's start in. Dave, you want to pick us up? Uh, I'll pick up the, the story beginning. at 445 a.m. on May 23rd, 1918. Jake Maggio, a cobbler living with his brothers, Andrew and Joseph, and his wife, Catherine, uh, was awakened by groans of distress coming from his brother's room. Groans of distress. That's the worst sounds. Uh, sure. Yeah. It, yeah. Of all the groans. Well, I mean, seriously, there's a real past tense to a groan of distress. A shriek of distress. That's before things have gotten terrible. Yeah. A groan means it's set in. Yeah. <sighs> With some difficulty, Jake awoke his brother, Andrew. Why was it difficult? Because Andrew was drunk. Plastered. And the two of them went to Joseph's room to discover a horrifying sight. Someone had attacked Joseph and Catherine with an axe and cut their throats with a straight razor. Jesus. 
Joseph, on the bed with his feet dangling to the floor, bore axe wounds on the back of his head, forehead, and left cheek. Catherine was on the floor, unfortunately dead, uh, with cuts on her right cheek and on the right hand over her thumb, and her face was split from forehead to mouth. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's deep already. Uh, yeah. Don't worry. I'll make a, I'll make, I'll make a joke. I'll, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make this right. Oh, God. Joseph's eyes opened, and he struggled to get up while Jake and Andrew called the police and ambulance. Uh, Joseph died shortly after the ambulance arrived, and the brothers were arrested by the police on suspicion of murder. Uh, police searched the Maggio's home and found Joseph's safe opened. His brothers swore he always kept the safe locked, but it did contain money, and was uh, and one hundred dollars was left under Joseph's pillow. Catherine's jewelry box had also been left untouched. A bloody straight razor was found on the bedroom floor. Um, Granted, the paper reported it being in the neighbor's lawn, so that's weird. Um, and in the nearby bathroom, they found a pile of men's clothing in the middle of the bathroom floor, an unfired revolver, and an axe, which belonged to the victims, sitting in the bathtub. Uh, the back door had a wooden panel chiseled out and set aside, and the chisel itself was placed next to it. So it, th- this is almost like this is already a, an extraordinarily planned and low-grade fetishized murder because this guy is, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost comical. Like, this is something I would imagine, like, the Simpsons setting up where the, the murderer comes to the house with a hammer and a chisel, but he just uses it to get through the door and puts them aside. Oh. Then he gets into the bathroom and pulls out a gun, puts it down. Oh. You know, like, he, and then he, then he finds an axe that was already there and was like, bingo. You're <laughs> like, right. You know, You're it's. Right. Yeah, but but I, I think that that points to someone who is fetishizing a murder. They Maybe. know exactly how they want that to go. Sure, let's see. Or where it could was be. I? Yeah, I mean, I, I could think it's the opposite that it's somebody who doesn't know how they want it to go, so they're improvising. I don't know. That's true, but I, I would just I don't know. Like, but you don't you don't improvise bringing a chisel or a gun. Yeah. So yeah, if you bring a gun, like what beats a gun? Improv taught us that. <laughs> I mean, like if you bring a gun, if you're going to commit a murder and you bring a gun to the murder and you don't use the gun, well, you've got a pretty compelling reason to not use the gun then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he brought a gun to a sleep fight and so maybe he thought the better of it. (laughs) No, I don't know. I'm I'm not the one going. (laughs) Dude, that was a different me. That was like five minutes ago. Keep going. Shoot, dude. Try to keep up. I'm woke. I don't even know what that means. What's more unsettling about all this, because it's not unsettling enough. Pretty unsettling. Right. Uh, There was a message found written in chalk on a sidewalk just a block away, which read, Mrs. Joseph Maggio is going to sit up tonight just like Mrs. Tony. T-O-N-E-Y. Weird. The brothers were eventually released as the evidence against them was scant. Yeah. And we're going to see this. Uh, come up again and again, uh, which is pretty pretty sad in its own right. And again, like going back to the razor was on the bedroom floor, although the Picayune reported it was in the lawn. Like one source will say one thing, yeah. but then like the police report will say something completely different. You know, like there was a lot of sensationalizing going on. By oh yeah, because that's that stuff sells papers paper. like crazy. Yeah, and then you also have to realize it's not like I mean this was before sunglasses. Before opening puns, this was before there was any kind of CSI. Like, yeah, people, there were like, no jokes back then. No, people ran in and they just like 
Oh, is this the body? Kick it over a few times. Shake, shake that True. bed out. See if anything interesting falls. I mean, like there was no. I mean, yeah, all jokes aside, that literally he, people just like there was no took a crap on the the crime scene. Yeah, because well, there, there was no science to apply to it. I mean, there was no forensics to to really. I'm sure they had what they thought was you know yeah. good for the time. I mean, they they did dust for fingerprints and things like that. But right. but yeah, most of the time people were just like, well, just check his pockets, uh, turn him over. Lift him up. Maybe he's not dead yet. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, they were not uh, delicate with that sort of thing. So, some somebody's going to write in and be like, um, yeah. Actually- you know, even as I said that, I was like, you, that there was uh, the FBI had already established <laughs> at that time. Scotland Yard was very right. <laughs> uh, good. So, seven a.m. June twenty seventh, nineteen eighteen. This was a full month later. A baker named John Zanka discovered a panel missing from the back door of Lewis Bessemer's grocery store slash home. Uh, and at, at this time, groceries were often part of proprietors' homes then. You, you have a, the shop in the front, and then the back has a room and a kitchen and a dining room maybe. And, right. And a back door. It very lightly sniffs of the old bloody benders. You know how they had their setup where... Right. I mean, it was just a one-room thing that was divided, but there was store on one side, there was living quarters on another side. Remember that? Yeah, I don't feel like those things are at all similar, because they just had, that was like a table with the curtain. This is like a, a shop, you know, like that was a pretty common thing to have like a- They, sh- they a sold store. a few dry goods. I mean, it was, it wasn't like a grocery store, but it was like a- I feel like you're trying to turn this into something it's not, and it's really disgusting, man. You're trying to turn it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> John Zanka then knocked uh, on the door to, you know, to make his delivery. He had some bread or something to deliver. And uh, Lewis, Lewis Bessemer answered while bleeding profusely from a massive head wound. Zanka called the police and the hospital and police found Mrs. Anna Bessemer clinging to life on a bed with deep wounds over her left ear and on top of her head. An axe, again, belonging to the victims, was found in a pool of blood on the house's gallery. What's a gallery? I didn't. I didn't stop to look that up. What What is the gallery of a house? I don't really know. I would imagine it's just any room where you have a bunch of art. I. <laughs> well, you. Yeah. I. I'm thinking like kitchen galley. Yeah, I think they maybe the gallery would be like a a, a receiving room. Mm. Or if a only we had room. some some power at our fingertips to. Oh well, we'll <laughs> a, figure it a out. A girl someday. can dream. Moving on. Their cash was intact in a safe, and valuables were left alone. This time, rubber gloves had been left behind as well. Hmm. At the hospital, Mrs. Bessemer regained consciousness and was able to make a few statements to the police. She first claimed that she'd been attacked by a mulatto. Uh, newspaper accounts tell us a black man, Louis Ubicon, was briefly held as suspect the next day. Uh, and then she subsequently changed her story to blame Louis, whom she claimed was a German spy. Whoa. It was 1918. Thanks, Wilson. He was immediately arrested. He had already recovered and gotten out of the hospital, and then they were like, ding dong, police calling. Did you inflict this upon yourself? Because we think you did. Anyway, he was, however, released two days later after protesting that he was Polish and not a German spy, and that there was no evidence besides him uh, speaking other languages and getting mail from abroad. People thought he was a spy. Uh, (coughs) What was his name? Oh, <laughs> uh, Mrs. Bessemer then said, quote, I did not say Mr. Bessemer is a German spy. That is perfectly ridiculous. She then described the attack, 
saying, I don't even know what made me wake up, but I opened my eyes, and in the light from outside, I saw a man standing over me, making some sort of motions with his hands. Then I saw the axe in his hands. I recall screaming, go away! Don't push me that way! He was a rather tall man and heavyset. Uh, wait, I like that there's a, a quote within a quote, Yeah, and only that quote is deep enough to get the voice. Sure. <laughs> she she makes it. Affected voice of herself. You're 100 percent right. It's gotta. You gotta. You can't do it all the time, <laughs> which is a lesson I should learn that you have. <laughs> okay, you are my Yoda. Stop it. No. <laughs> he was a white man and he wore no hat or cap. I remember his hair was dark brown and almost stood on end. He wore a white shirt, opened at the neck. He just stood there making motions with the axe, but not hitting me. The next thing I remember is lying out in the gallery with my face in a pool of blood. The press had a field day with her upon discovering that she was not the wife of Bessemer, but his mistress, Harriet Lowe. Oh, snizap! A charity hospital source, uh, charity hospitals where the, uh, uh, most of the victims were taken, by the way. The hospital source discovered the scandal when Bessemer asked to be directed to the room of Mrs. Harriet Lowe and was inevitably denied access as no woman by that name was a patient. Bessemer's legal wife arrived from Cincinnati in the days immediately following the discovery, which further inflamed the ongoing drama. Yuck. Oh, that—that that is uh, the most unfortunate way to get caught with your side girl. <laughs> yeah. Lowe further gained media attention as she repeatedly made statements which voiced her dislike of the New Orleans chief of police, as well as her reluctance to comply with police questioning. After the truth of her marital status was revealed publicly, Lowe told reporters from the Times-Picayune that she would no longer aid the police in their investigation, as she suspected that it had been Chief Mooney who first informed the press of the scandal. Hmm. She was a handful. Truly. Uh, she later died in August after a surgery from the attacks, due to the attacks, right. and uh, it did not go well. Uh, and just prior to her death, she once again told authorities that Lewis was the attacker. He was once again arrested and charged with murder and served nine months in prison before being acquitted on May 1st, 1919. So she was just She's firing a drama on, Yeah, she was firing on all cylinders. Well, I mean, there is a lot of evidence uh, medically, you know, people that have a traumatic uh not only event, but especially with a head injury, mm -hmm. um, car accidents, things like that often don't remember what happened in the minutes preceding the event, Sure, let alone the event itself. So, you know, she was I do just that when I get angry enough to argue with someone, to like yell with, with someone, I completely, my memory turns off so that I can like use it for yourself? my voice or something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the, the, the blood that goes towards my memory then directs to my throat. <laughs> And then afterwards, I'm like, what, what did oh, I say? Flora's got that blood throat going. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Lusty throat action. Ooh. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It feels like she was just confused and she was like, just, I don't know, saying whatever she felt like. It's true. Yeah. And whatever got her attention in, in some respects. I feel like she was getting plenty of attention. You know, what with the, um, the adultery. And her being admitted under the name of the wrong person. and Then the whole attack. Yeah, then there was the whole axe attack. <laughs> Ugh. But hey, she survived at least for a while. Well. All right, how about this one, Flora? 2 a.m. 
August 5th, 1918, uh, the same exact day that Harriet Lowe died and Louis Bessemer was arrested, Edward Schneider returned home from work to discover a chaotic scene. His neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Gonzalez, were with his eight-month pregnant wife, hysterical in her blood-soaked bed, several of her teeth having been knocked out and her scalp lacerated. Did I say scalp? You said scalp. Yeah. Wasn't going to say anything, but... Yeah. Several of her teeth having been knocked out and her scalp lacerated. Uh, she didn't, just like we said, she didn't remember anything of the attack, but went on to give birth to a healthy baby girl two days later. This yeah, time... Silver lining in that one, at yeah, least. Yeah, at least. Uh, this time, $7 was stolen and a hatchet was found in the yard. Uh, no panel had been chiseled off the door. Uh, police did find a broken lamp nearby and oil mixed with blood on the bed, uh, seeming, seeming to indicate that she had been hit with the lamp. Unlike previous attacks, the Schneiders did not run a grocery, nor were they Italian like the other victims. Yeah. By now, the Times Picayune had coined the attacker's infa- infamous epithet with the headline, Police believe X-Man may be active in city. A perfect way to keep everyone calm about it. Yes, exactly. Well, maybe it was an election year for police chief. Oh, jeez. Right. Oh, I'll keep my mouth shut. Uh, 3 a.m., August 10th, 1918. Pauline and Mary Bruno, who were living with their uncle Joseph Romano, awoke to commotion coming from their uncle's room. They ran in to find their uncle had taken a serious blow to his head, which resulted in two open cuts. The assailant was fleeing the scene as they arrived, yet the girls were able to distinguish that he was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a dark suit and slouched hat, reported as a black slouch alpine hat. Pauline told the New Orleans Item, that's another newspaper Mm -hmm. that when they screamed the man seemed to disappear quote almost as if he had wings end quote romano although seriously injured walked to the parlor before collapsing saying i don't know who did it then losing consciousness and he unfortunately died two days later the home had been ransacked yet no items were stolen Authorities found a bloody axe in the backyard, but this time there was a stranger's axe found clean and unused in their bedroom. A window had been opened after a slat was removed, but chisel marks were found on the door as well. By then, panic was starting to grip the city. Some thought a supernatural killer was terrorizing people, and mass hysteria started taking hold. Uh, reports began pouring into police from paranoid citizens like you would expect when the headline tells you that an axe murderer is on the loose. Right. Yeah. Everything, everything the media was doing was designed to create some panic. Good thing times have changed. Right. Oh, sick burn, America. Take that. Media. Some claimed to find axes left in their yards, or they came home to find panels chiseled off their doors. Others swore they saw the axe man leaping over fences in the night, and one man claimed to have emptied a shotgun at the fleeing axe man to no avail. Theories abounded, including the idea that he was a normal citizen by day, and by night, the urge to kill overtook him, a real-life Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde, as described by retired detective John D'Antonio was working on a uh, sort of uh, spectacle with a mirrored front that he could place on when he said a uh, clip. Yeah, I get it now. Over I didn't get it, then I got it. That's actually a pretty good TV cop name. D'Antonio, yeah, get, get in here. here. <laughs> <laughs> now, after this, several months passed without a single other incident. Uh, then, at 7 a.m. on March 9th, 1919, 
a young girl named Hazel Johnson came by the store of Charles and Rosie uh, Cortamiglia. Did I get that right? I think so. All right. Uh, seeing the store wasn't open yet, which was odd at 7 a.m., Hazel went to the back and discovered the rear door was missing a panel. Uh, way more bravely than anyone has any right to be, she went inside and immediately came out screaming. Well, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> uh, nearby grocers Yorlando and son Frank Gagliardo, who went by Giordano, in case there's not enough names in that sentence, rushed over to find Charles Cortamiglia unconscious on the bedroom floor with an axe wound to his head, and Mrs. Cortamiglia sitting nearby with five axe wounds to her head, holding her dead two-year-old daughter Mary. Ugh! Yeah. They were rushed to the hospital, um, but police found a bloody axe partially hidden under the back steps. The bedroom had been ransacked. Even a clock had its face removed, yet nothing had been stolen. No fingerprints or footprints were found. Rosie and Charles survived. She told police she had awoken to see her husband fighting with a large white man before getting hit with an axe. Then the attacker came after her and her daughter. She then claimed Frank and Giordano had attacked them, something her husband quickly refuted, saying, I saw the man well, and he was a stranger. No, it was not Frank Giordano. Yorlando, the 69-year-old man, was in too poor of health to have committed the crimes. Frank Giordano, more than six feet tall and weighing over 200 pounds, did not fit the bill for the other attacks, uh, plus was soon to be married. I don't know. Yeah. He's probably got things on his mind. Yeah, I guess. Is, I think is what that means. I'm soon to be married. Does that mean that I am incapable of murder? You're not going to kill anybody, dude. Neither He's are you. Invitations you're also to soon to, you're even sooner to be married. I'm, I'm fucking busy. I'm not going to kill. <laughs> I, I wish I can't even kill time. I can't, I can't even get, <laughs> I haven't been in the bathroom in three days. <laughs> uh, Charles Cortamiglia vehemently denied his wife's claims, yet police nonetheless arrested the two and then charged them with the murder. Uh, they were found guilty and Frank was sentenced to hang. His father was sentenced to life in prison. Charles divorced his wife after the trial. Yeah, I would. Uh, almost a year later, Rosie announced that she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy and spite. For what? I don't know. Her statement was the only, eviden uh, only evidence against the Giordanos, and they were released from jail shortly thereafter. The thought, the going thought on that was that the Giordanos were uh, rival grocers from across the street, oh. and I, I think they didn't like them anyway. Like, there was a little little heat between the two families, but it, it was pretty clear that it wasn't them. And especially if you're the guy that got the axe to the head and you saw who gave you the axe to the head. True. And you say, no, it wasn't those guys. Yeah. Right. And all that, all they convicted them with was her damn story. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that in a modern society, that means she goes to jail. They were, they were definitely going through some shit having lost their child. In, in something horrific, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, tough. Everyone, everyone is a victim in this. Yeah. In March. Oh, oh, here we go. Uh, March 14th, 1919, the times Picayune published a letter purportedly from the killer that read as follows. Hell, March 13, 1919 esteemed mortal. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. 
I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis, Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. <laughs> like the reasonable tone. Hey, okay. You're right. right. Mea culpa, everybody. Mea culpa. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the Angel of Death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that I may go well with thee, I have been, am, and will be, the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. Lame. That night, legend has it, virtually every residence in New Orleans rocked with the sound of jazz records. You didn't have a record player, you went out to a club. And did, who got, who got, did anyone get the axe? No one. What? Now, on Wikipedia, forgive me, there were some references to people that were uh, not only not going to play the jazz, oh, yeah. they were like, hey, I'm not playing the jazz. Looks like you better come get me. All the little Kevin McAllisters yeah. of, <laughs> of, of New Orleans had everything ready to go. Right. Paint cans yeah. on strings lined up no wet bandits showed up somehow they managed to freeze their steps yeah in new orleans hell of a trick <laughs> clever kids <laughs> now on august 10th 1919 a grocer once again by the name of steve boca stumbled to the home of his neighbor frank janusa uh, with his head cracked open and bleeding profusely upon reaching his neighbor's house boca lost consciousness and was taken to a hospital he would later recover from his wounds but could not remember much of the actual attack other than that he had that he had struggled with a large figure in dark clothing and that he had awoken to find looming over his bed as he slept. I got to tell you, this, this keeps coming up. It's like waking up to something looming over your bed. If that's as bad as it gets, man. You are completely correct. There is, I just, there's just nothing worse than that. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I can't think of something because here's the thing. People don't just wake up. 
So like you hear something, something indicates that it's time to wake up. Yeah. I don't even like talking about it right now because it's going to keep me from sleeping tonight. (laughs) It is. It is the creepiest. Yeah. And that's, that's like your bedroom is your safe place. My good friend, Dan, uh, is a a cop and for a birthday present one year, he gave me like, uh, I mean, it's got like a name. It's like the T72 or whatever, but it's like a big badass fiberglass police baton. Mm Mm-hmm. And I keep it next to my bed and I've always realized that like, I will, if if, if I open my eyes and there was someone in my room, I would, I I wouldn't even have the presence of mind to be like, Hey, don't forget you put a weapon right there. Nope. (laughs) I would be lashing out like a, like with every limb, like an octopus who plays the drums. I just, I, I don't, whatever I did would have nothing to do with Kung Fu. It would have nothing to do with rational thought. Right. It would just be like Homer Simpson, just, oh, bah, 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 bah. it would just be <laughs> screaming and flip outs. And, yeah. oh man. At least yours is a baton. Mine's a dagger. Yeah. You got that going for you. But I'd be the same thing. Then I would remember. And then I would be that octopus on the <laughs> drums with a dagger. Do you know what? You know what? The, the one thing that makes me feel good is that my, my apartment is in a hundred year old building and every square inch of the floor is Creek. Yeah. So at least I would always know prior to them getting into my room. Oh God, there's no fucking way I'm sleeping tonight. Now I got myself all heebied comma G bead. All right. So back to the story. It's not a story back to the historical account of tragic murder. Police would find that nothing had been taken from his home per the huge. And again, a door had been chiseled away and the chisel left behind. They did, however, arrest Janusa, and had Boca not survived, Janusa might have been in a, he might have been in a tight spot. Damn, we're in a tight spot. So the poor guy who was like, oh, you're hurt. Let's get you an ambulance. Ding dong. Popo calling. Well, here's the thing. Once again. It's because the cops didn't, they were, they didn't have anything close to a lead. Mm Mm-mm. But they also had. the public. Right. They had to make an arrest, and they're like, oh, but you were there. I I was trying to. yeah, it's it, it that's that's pretty frustrating in itself. Right. Uh, we haven't touched on it yet, but when we keep saying a panel was chiseled away from a door, perhaps you're wondering what that means. Oh yeah, Stecco, explain. <laughs> well, like uh, doors, you know, back then there was a certain style of door that was just. Pan- I mean, people see those these days; they're smaller. But if you chisel out one of the the smaller inset panels they're on like a door, rectangular insets. Yeah, it's yeah. like you make yourself a doggy door, or at least it's enough to to get an arm in there and. Get the get the uh, the the doorknob. Uh, so so you would just take a take a chisel and kind of pop it out. Yeah, right? you could you could you could chisel out the molding around the the mm-hmm. panel and then pull the panel towards you. I'd imagine or pry it mm-hmm. because they were they were I guess uh, commonly like nowadays doors are like solid unibody construction, but back then those panels were just that they were panels that were inset into the door, sometimes with a, with a different wood. Mm-hmm. things like that so they weren't they weren't the door wasn't one contiguous piece right so you could if you just got the molding around that little piece and how big would you say one would be i don't know i mean they they ran the gamut but Foot and I, a half by two feet or something like that not even that i mean you yeah. could be like uh eight by 16 inches you could have long rectangular panels or multiple i mean like and literally any pattern you could think of they did so yeah yeah but it it, it wasn't like he came in through those panels, I don't think. I think that the panel was a means of accessing the doorknob and getting in. That's a sticky point. We'll get back to that. Yeah. Um, I guess it really does depend on the size of the panel hole. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. 
nothing I saw ever said how big they were, so I don't. There, there were there are pictures in the book that I read. Um, oh, the book that you wouldn't share with me. Nice, nice. Yeah, those look you know in the ballpark of eight by sixteen inches. I mean, give or take, you could put a skinny man through there if you yeah. were so inclined. September second, nineteen nineteen. Pharmacist William Carson disturbed an intruder in his home and fired several shots at the retreating figure. I believe a pistol. On returning to his residence, he found chisel marks on his door. Yeah. September 3rd, which also I've seen it as August 3rd. So there's a month discrepancy in this date. But in one account, neighbors found 19-year-old Sarah Lauman, and in another account, it was, it was her parents who found her, unconscious on her bed with a severe head wound. Once she recovered, she told police the assailant was in his mid-20s, Dark complexion, around 5'8", 165 pounds. He wore a dark coat, dark pants, a low cap, and a white shirt with dark stripes. An axe was found in the yard, and it seemed the the attacker entered through an unbolted window this time. Due to the fact that the attacker strayed from his usual modus operandi, the girl was not a grocer, uh, nor was any of her family, and the, the method of entry was different. The public felt that any one of them was now a target for a murder. Originally, they just thought uh, yeah. Italian grocers if I, Yeah, screwed. if I'm not an Itai grocer, I'm fine. Others, others believed that this was either a copycat attack or somebody had used the Axeman as a convenient cover to settle their own scores. Probably somebody who got rejected from the, the ball. Yeah, uh, yeah I was going to say, because, you know, there's no one who's, no one, no one turns 19 without making a few enemies. <laughs> right. At 1.20 in the morning, October 27, 1919, Esther Pepitone, the wife of two Italian grocer Mike Pepitone, awoke to sounds of her husband struggling with someone in the next room. She heard Mike say, oh Lord, and when she finally looked into the bedroom, she saw a grisly scene. Mike Pepitone had been struck in the head and blood was everywhere. She immediately called the police. Uh, the axeman was the primary suspect, however, on closer inspection, it didn't quite look like his handiwork. Mike was... Uh, Mike was not hit with an axe, but had been struck 18 times with a 14 inch metal bar that had a three inch iron nut at the end. Jesus. That's like a, that's like a working. Yeah. That's like a machinist's mace. Yeah. Um, it had been left on a chair night. Uh, it had been left on a chair nearby and Mrs. Pepitone reported that she got a glimpse of two men fleeing the house by way of a room where her kids were sleeping. Jesus. Mm. One was tall and slender. The other short and stocky. Um, they were heard to be muttering another fine mess you've gotten me into as they bolted into the night. Uh, they had entered via a smashed window. Mike Pepitone died not long after. And that is the last known Axeman attack reported. Or is it? Yes, that was it. Or was or, it? But maybe, oh. maybe not. Oh, was it? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean that, that the, the Pepitone attack, that sounds kind of kind of fishy, right yeah. in the timeline here. That just feels One like of these things somebody like the whooping their asses. But you know what sucks though? Everything about well, this. <laughs> no, you said that we were going to jump around in the timeline, and then oh. we didn't. This is pretty chronological. So I'm sorry. You should be penalty box, Flora. No, it's time for the prequel, bitches. Oh, we're gonna jump on back to 1908. That's too far back. Uh, Kevin McQueen put together an intriguing timeline in his book that led up to the official killings, which began in 1918. Those were the official killings. 
July 8th, 1908, 10 years before the X-Men was uh, uh, supposedly doing his thing, Alphonse Durrell, a not well-liked hairdresser, was found dead in his home. An unpopular hairdresser. Yeah. Uh, killed using his own hatchet and a knife to inflict several gruesome wounds to his head. His watch was missing, but other valuables in plain sight were left alone. On August 13th, 1910, the Crudy family, Italian grocers, were brutally attacked in the night by a man wielding a meat cleaver. Mrs. Crudy survived to report she had awakened to see the man standing over her bed saying, Give me all you got. Come on, give it to me. Come on, give your money to me. Hurry up. She gave him eight bucks. Then she saw her husband lying at the foot of the bed with a gash in his head. He moaned and rolled onto the floor, and the attacker whacked him once more, then grabbed the cage of a pet mockingbird and left. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, A neighbor reported seeing a short, heavyset man leaving with the cage and cleaver, tossing the weapon aside, scaled a fence, and walked barefoot a block away. He sat on a stoop, rolled up a smoke, opened the cage and released the bird, smoked his cigarette, then put on his shoes and disappeared into the night. Balls. Yeah. Just uh, first, let me uh, let me make sure that I've got some sweet, sweet flavor on deck. Yeah. Second of all, it's time for a really good uh, metaphor. <laughs> so let me just release this. Oh, God. Now, the, smru- the smooth, rich flavor of a post-murder Chesterfield. Chesterfield. <laughs> Mr. Crudy fully recovered and described the man as clean-shaven, about 5'6", broad-shouldered, dark hair, broad nose, and turned-up thick lips. He also wore a black derby. Sounds like a guy you'd find at the docks. Yeah, it sounds like a classic bad guy. Yeah. The Derby. September 20th, 1910. Italian grocers Mr. and Mrs. Rossetto were attacked in the night by a man wielding a meat cleaver. Mr. Rossetto managed to get a gun and fire into the air, scaring the attacker away. Nothing was stolen and the cleaver was left behind. Both survived, although he died two years later. I think of of un- of, of irrelevant causes of, of, of yeah unconnected. Uh, uh, can we can we add those to all the people? This person survived the attack, although they <laughs> they were audited seventeen years later. Yeah. He eventually died. Right, all of these people eventually died. <laughs> My God, this goes so much further than we ever thought. <laughs> How about June twenty seventh, nineteen eleven? Uh, Italian grocers Joseph and Mary Davi were attacked in the night, the assailant having gained entry by breaking off some window slats and raising the sash. The door to their bedroom was also pried open with a railroad shoe pin. Hmm. Hmm. Marie awakened after her husband had been hacked on. Jesus, that's gruesome. And the attacker grabbed a glass mug and smashed it into her face saying, where's your money? She said, uh, she said he spoke English with no accent. Before she could answer, he hacked at her head and hands, uh, and she played dead until he left. But nothing was stolen. Joseph died the next day. I think uh, the railroad shoe pin is interesting in that. Really? Uh, it's, it's really specific. It's really sp- specific. It, we've, we haven't heard of that in any, any other case. We've heard of chisels and slats being, you know, like, it's something foreign. I mean, it could be. Well, I don't feel like those were, were rare at the time. Just it's just a weird thing to pick. Maybe, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's something different. That's yeah. all I'm saying. It's it's something different to go with. May fifteenth, nineteen twelve. Neighbors rushed to the house of Italian grocers Tony and Joanna Siambra after hearing screams. 
Joanna had a bullet wound in her thigh and Tony was dead on the bed, three bullet wounds in his back. Their infant son was unhurt. The killer had stacked boxes in the alley and climbed through a window. Nothing was stolen. She had not seen the shooter and their watchdog had not barked. Joanna did not survive her wound, however, dying a week later. I'll tell you, aside from the fact that they were Italian grocers, nothing about that feels... Axie? Yeah, I don't don't think there's any part of that that... Could be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And finally, on December 22nd, 1917, the uh, Andalina family, which were... Italian grocers! You got it. Were attacked in the night by a man wielding a hatchet, and this time a pistol. Mr. Andalina was hit several times before the attacker ran to an adjoining room and and struck their son John with the hatchet and son Salvador with the butt of the gun. He then escaped, but everyone survived. Detectives found that the back door had a panel chiseled out and that the hatchet was carefully placed near the door. Now that, that feels... That sounds sexy. That sounds, yeah, that's got a lot more pieces of the puzzle. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, which means he had to escape and then come back and place the hatchet, or did he do it on the way out? I guess he did it on the way out. Hmm. But it was carefully placed. Like, it, it wasn't just thrown down. Maybe, yeah. I don't, I don't know how you would know that unless it was, like, a I, very I specific, like, like, propped up. Prop, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, that's a lot of killing. Let's, let's get into some of the suspects, some of the evidence. Let's talk, let's talk this through. Okay. Let's okay. Let's work, this, let's work this through. We haven't even done a New Orleans accent or an Italian accent. Everybody should be proud of us. I don't think they are. <laughs> Police thought a small man or a midget was to blame uh, based on the removed panels. Like you said, being so small, they're like, well, only only somebody this small can get in through here. Mm-hmm. That had to be a midget get in through that door. Couldn't have been a regular size man. Look at that. Look at the size of that. Well, I think it could. Lester, if you think a grown man can get through that, I'd like to see you just wiggle your skinny ass right through there. Now, go on. I'll give you a couple of boots to help you. No, sir. That's right. No, sir. That's damn right, I'm the sheriff. You're the deputy. Go on. Get your ass through that door. (laughs) I want to watch you do it. I'm going to grease you up like a pig and send you through there squealing. (laughs) I'm going to enjoy my beignet right here (laughs) while I watch you wiggle your ass through Uh that door. Uh, this was uh, quickly tossed aside as the killer simply unlocked the doors this way. Oh, I'm, right? um, I've got the mind of a killer. <laughs> they also thought it was a sadist and rounded up local perverts to no avail. I don't understand the Venn diagram there. I think uh, refer to Confederacy of Dunces in that respect. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> that's, anyone that's, anyone who's up. having fun? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> god, oh it. my god i'm 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 due for a rereading of that i think that'll be my fifth and i i read it every couple of years you should you should get the audible version of it because the guy who reads it is funny really yeah i mean he does he does this uh i'll uh, do that fun uh, yeah. interpretation of the guy and you can do it too audibletrial.com slash blurry photos boom checked it off the list moving on the fact was they were being made a fool of and they knew it that's why they, I think, arrested anybody who was yeah. you know, within eyesight. They had of, to. They just yeah. had to grab people. Theories ran rampant. A deranged serial killer on the loose or a demented woman dressed as a man, an actual vampire, or even Jack the Ripper himself once more succumbing to the urge to kill again. Now, remember, Jack the Ripper operated in 1888. 
Yeah. How would you remember that? We haven't talked about it. <laughs> Whatever. I don't think we ever will. I don't know. I, I mean, it's 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 a fun subject, obviously, but it's so A-list. Yeah. <laughs> A-list. Because the thing is this, like, the facts of the case were pretty thoroughly laid out. I mean, A, the Axemen largely targeted Italian grocers or business owners. Yeah. He attacked with weapons mainly found at the scene. Yeah. Um, of course, obviously, favoring axes. But uh, he always made a point of leaving the weapon there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he couldn't w- enter through a window, he would chisel out a door panel and then open the, open it that way. Yep. Although even the window ones, I feel like all the window entrances, iffy as to whether or not it was him. Uh, well, I, I don't know if I'd say all of them, but I'd say a majority of them can be argued that it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, most accounts described him as having average height, dark complexion, heavy set. And he did not give a fuck where he swung that axe. No. He would swing it in all directions, sometimes twice at once. Mm. He preferred to attack in the early morning hours. He almost never stole anything. And yeah, depending think- on which accounts you're going by, I would even go so far as to say never stole right. anything. Yeah. And But he did like to uh, ransack the rooms, which is, I, th- I think it's a bad word, ransack, because I'm sure he trashed the joint, but there was also a very high degree of detail, like even pulling the face off a clock, like really specifically breaking things, not smashing a clock, not throwing it on the right. ground, pulling the face off it, you know? And, and the one, th- the thing that was missing from the one case was the watch there. I, I feel like maybe there's something to there's, do with clocks. A or, thing. Yeah. There's a temporal. I hate the clocks kind of thing. I don't know. It was a purposeful way of messing stuff up. And yeah, the the going theory on that is that it was just to mislead police into thinking it was a robbery. Hmm. That that's that's yeah. all they got though. You know, like maybe there was something else to it, but yeah. But I mean, but then again, I mean, the best way to mislead police into thinking it's a robbery is to fucking take something. True, true. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. Like, I I don't I don't know that if it was necessarily designed to muddle things up because the the important salient facts are always consistent, and then I feel like trashing the room was part of it. Maybe, yeah. Because it's a specific, like you said, it's purposeful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, he attacked the heads of his victims, which on one hand, I always want to say, well, duh, but listen, d- you can you can attack a person virtually anywhere with an axe and end their lives. You know, it's a lot of options. Yeah, go go for the rib cage. Yeah. Just, just go and get your way through there. Go for their spine. And any other ideas? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll stop while I'm <laughs> sort of the back. Well, not I'll even st- ahead. I'll stop I'm while, I'll, while I'm not in jail. <laughs> what about the 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 Italian pattern, Flora? Uh, that old movie. Mm-hmm. Well, with with that Italian pattern, blame fell heavily on the mafia and the method of extortion known as the black hand. Typical black hand tactics involved sending a letter to a victim threatening bodily harm. Uh, maybe kidnapping, arson, or murder. Murder. They were well known to extort Italian grocers. In fact, there was an organization against them known as the Italian Vigilance Committee. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, at the time, New Orleans always got the eye looking out. <laughs> we put the eye in Italian. <laughs> oh boy, I I'm I already feel bad for doing that. At the time, New Orleans had heavy mob activity, and these mafiosos often used grocers as fronts for criminal dealings. 
In this scenario, the victims could have either been direct targets of organized crime or simply caught in the crossfire between two warring factions of the mob struggling for power. This had happened throughout the early 1900s in the region, in fact, with uh, grocers often killed in mafia attacks or as retribution for other attacks, and it was not uncommon for these businesses to receive threatening letters or even death threats from the mob. In a perhaps unrelated but nevertheless interesting detail regarding mafia involvement, the last Axeman victim, Mike Pepitone's own brother, Pete Pepitone, had been arrested in the April 13, 1910 killing of mafioso Paul de Cristina. In this case, the killing had been retribution for a botched assassination attempt on then-mob boss Vincenzo Moresi and was carried out with a shotgun in Peter Pepitone's own store. Walk in, say how you doing with, with a... You got any three-quarters itch? Blam! You do now! Oh. We call that a New Orleans good morning. <laughs> Joseph Davy uh, had actually received two letters from them, had received letters from Black, the Black Hand, uh, but they were a year old by the time Joseph was killed. And patience wasn't a strong suit of the black hand. Yeah, it's a yeah, like it's not a dish served cold. That's no. the threat, <laughs> right? Piping hot, right out of the thunder oven. Yeah, in the morning with a shotgun in the store. <laughs> yes, thunder oven. <laughs> That's what I call your butt. That's what our uh, first rock uh, CD is going to be called. Oh, I like that. Out yeah. of thunder oven. Right out of the thunder oven. <laughs> Uh, other victims never came forward with evidence of black hand extortion, and indeed, Rosie Schneider and Sarah Lauman were not even business owners. But the speculation naturally led to the only seriously considered suspect in the case, an Italian laborer and career criminal named Joseph Mumfrey. Yeah, Joseph, uh, who went under the name Monfrey, Manfrey, or Munfrey. I don't know if that's even a deliberate or just like. People can't get a man's name right. <laughs> well, uh, he had been a black hand enforcer uh, who came to the States in 1897. He had extorted a grocer named Graffinino in 1907. And when the grocer refused to pay the money they demanded, Monfrey blew up the store with dynamite. Yep. Just <laughs> blew it right up. Uh, and he was later convict- arrested, convicted, and spent time in and out of jail. Time such as August 1908. He was sentenced to 20 years. He went to jail in 1909. In June of 1915, he was discharged from prison. July of 1916, just better than a year, right back in prison again. April 1918, released again. Oh, the revolving door. Yep. Uh. Uh, he was then shot to death in L.A. in December 1920 by the widow of Mike Pepitone, uh, by then going by the name Esther Albano. This was, uh, I guess, kind of sort of confirmed by a newspaper clipping from the AP talking about the slaying of Leon Manfrey, also known as Mumfrey, by Mrs. Esther Albano. Uh, yeah, that's what the clipping uh, yeah. said. Now, there was a death certificate in California for a Joseph Mumfrey. However, this cat was a cobbler who had moved from Pennsylvania to California in 1906 with zero layovers in New Orleans. You know that yeah. no one in New Orleans says Nolans? That's just a I, I believe it. <laughs> giant fat slice of Yankee bullshit. Yep. So um, now that Mumfrey, the California Mumfrey, died of generalized marasmus, which is a fun word, uh, in 1975. The names are confusing enough, but it seems like the New Orleans Mumfrey 
could not have been the California Mumphrey, as prison records indicate that the New Orleans Mumphrey was alive in 1923 and as late as 1930. It has been pointed out as somewhat suspicious that a similar string of killings carried out in 1910 and 1911 stopped when he was in jail and began again when he was released in 1918, only to then stop altogether upon his relocation to California and and his subsequent apparent death. However, one of the most damning pieces of evidence for that theory is the attack of the Andalina family, which fit with the Axeman MO perfectly, yet Monfrey was serving time in jail at that point. Yeah. So, New Orleans Monfrey, who was said to be shot by Mrs. Pepitone in California, actually wasn't shot in California at all. He uh, lived around New Orleans still, and that, that is indicated from prison records. Yeah, this other Mumphrey who had come from Italy to Pennsylvania and then uh, Pennsylvania to California was a cobbler and died of natural blah blah blah. Yeah, he was a, a red herring Monfrey. That's right. But you know how, you know how it goes. I sure do. All gets all mangled up in the shredder. I sure do. The theory fits with some of the uh, killings yeah. and attacks, but the Andalina um, attack, which reeks of axe stuff he he was supposedly in jail during that now the, the i don't only, know what do you think i i mean i i don't know i mean it seems like by that attack he had established maybe an mo but he was in jail so it's tough huh yeah what about the letter yeah the let it, it's doubtful that the letter is from the actual killer yeah nothing about that made any sense whatsoever. You know, things like that are often characterizations thought up by the eggheads. At Harvard? At Harvard. As a performance or attention-getting piece, um, some some have said that it was to drum up sales for the paper. Uh, not not that I feel like they needed it at that yeah, time. Yeah, I feel like they were doing pretty good. Uh, and some people even said it was to drum up business for big jazz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, a big horn section wants to sell more trumpets and, and, and big, tra- 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 big jangly piano trombones. Uh, 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 uh. Well, I'm not going to have it. Not in, not in New Orleans. Not in New Bedford. Uh, not in New Buffalo. Uh, enough of your jazz. I, I like that um, Alex Jones has become bionic Jimmy Stewart. Now. Yeah. What's the diff? <laughs> Morals. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Police Superintendent Mooney believed that the real axe man had sent him two letters, but he never told anybody about the the contents of those letters. I don't even know if that was a, a real thing that they could prove. So, what does that good does does does, does that do anyone? Nope. Oh, I got two letters, but I'm not going to show them to anybody at yeah, all. But it wasn't this guy, right? <laughs> that guy. Uh, how about how about this? Okay, we went over this at the beginning. Yeah. What about Tony? 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 They worked it out, and I worked it in. Tony, Tony, Tony has hey, done it again. Tony. So the Mrs. Tony thing, there was a suspicious grocer named Philip Lavello who had been in the store of Tony and Joanna Siambra and referred to her as Mrs. Tony. And if you'll remember, the chalk note that was found on the sidewalk had referenced Mrs. Tony, only spelled with an E-Y. That is just, that's kind of the the yarn on the corkboard they have drawn between those pegs. Let me tell you why I don't like that piece of yarn. The phrase suspicious grocer. What made Philip Lavello a suspicious grocer? 
I'm asking you, Flora. Tell I, me. I don't. Who's supposed to be suspicious in here? I, you, you, you got these characters like, <laughs> coming in here. I mean, like, what was? I mean, because that means Philip Lovello was super busy killing lots of folks. Do you think that maybe it's possible there was more than one Axeman, Flora? Uh, I'm going to save what I think just until we're on the other side of this little factoid. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now. Uh, I'm going to keep that card in my pocket for another eight seconds. Yeah, eight seconds, I bet. Well, that, I, I, I think that would play into the Munfrey theory. Um, since he was in jail, you know, with the one attack, at least the one attack. Then when he got out, he did it. Then when he was in, you know, could could keep happening. You're right. Perhaps even more frightening, a, a somewhat similar string of murders and assaults struck Birmingham, Alabama between 1919 and 1923. Victims included men, women, and children with no regard to ethnicity, but who were mostly grocers and shopkeepers, some of them Italian. Robbery was uh, part of many of these tax as well. And police did arrest five men in 1924 for their crimes. However, they didn't match the Axeman descriptions as they were black and they didn't chisel door panels and almost always stole something during the attack. So it was just sort of a horrific uh, few years there with stuff that was similar to what was going on in New Orleans. But they pretty much decided this was a separate uh, thing that and, and it was all... By- I mean, maybe even then, you know what though? I, I feel just like ro- it was just robberies. Yeah. They're point. just robberies because people can help people. It's the year 2016. People still rob grocery stores and convenience stores all the time. People still rob grocers. People still kill each other almost, on the street. Almost as a first choice. If you're going to go rob a place. Yeah. You, you rob a convenience store. It's just where people go. It's and more convenient. And that's what these, <laughs> I mean, it's in the name. <laughs> you had to know it was going to be easy. Uh, you know, that's the thing. Like, I, you know, I feel like I, I'd be curious to see what the the statistics were for grocer assault or robbery. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if anyone ever used an axe to rob a grocer, axe man. If anyone ever uh, kicked in a door panel, axe man. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. if they were Italian grocers, I don't care how you did it. Axe, axe man. man. You know. All right. So let's 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 just do a quick round of our opinions. <laughs> Oh, okay, because we don't have enough of that in here. My opinion, I don't know. There definitely was one person who was was acting out the same scenario over and over. I think that it was uh, details were, were poorly recorded and reported. So I think that um, even I think some of those cases that didn't seem as straight with the, with the, the behavior, the MO of the person, I think even some of those were probably a little bit tighter than they were reported. But I also think that there was a lot, there was so much sensationalism around it that there was a lot of copycatting and a lot of people using it, even as it was suggested earlier, as a, as a means of settling scores, mm-hmm. that it was just like a, an easy way to, to get whipped up into a frenzy. Yeah. I, I agree mostly with that, that I think it was one dude. I don't think all of the attacks that we covered were the same guy. No, me neither. I think some of them are just right out. Yeah, especially like the the Pepitone attack. I don't think that was an Axeman attack. No. I mean, they there was supposedly two guys. They smashed the window. They they attacked with a pipe. Pipe. Yeah, like that's not Axe. Come on, man. Now Why that? Now that is a mafia attack. Right. That right. is an old school double you know, two team hitman. That's 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 how it was done. 
That's Vincent and Julius showing up at your house. I do think the Andalina attack was one. Yeah. That was the one that was- uh, The last of the early was, ones. Yeah, the 1917 before the, the official Axeman uh, craze began, and, and also when Munfrey was supposedly in jail. Mm-hmm. I could go either way on the ones before that, the ones with the meat cleaver. Like, it could be, I can I could rationalize to myself that he was using things that were around. Which he always did. Which he always did, and then got a got a taste of the, of the axe and and- decided that was his this is this is way easier than that f-ing cleaver yeah god i feel stupid also is it possible because record keeping was so shitty back then that Munfrey wasn't in jail but someone had it's, you know, it's it is entirely possible um i feel like though the the prison records are the strongest evidence to go on in this whole case that's kind of where uh, a lot of the dates are at least that makes sense. There. I mean, you gotta you gotta pick a raft somewhere in this little ocean. To, to <laughs> but yeah, to. I guess prison records are as good as anything. Things could still be off by months or even years in some cases. You know, how do you know? You don't know. Um, you can't know. Shan't know. I I feel like Munfrey's not the guy. Really? I I I don't know, man. Like. Something, something about the way he conducted himself. Just like, yeah, he's a, he's a criminal and stuff. But I don't like whoever was doing this. They had it down to a, a science. Yeah, I don't feel like. I mean, by definition, this person was a criminal. But whoever did this wasn't a criminal. This wasn't right. a guy who is also snatching candy bars and is running a numbers game or exactly. You know, like this guy is not. It's involved. a Dexter type. Yeah, this figure. person is not involved in crime because no matter who you are or what your game is, if you are those other things plus a serial killer, you're going to take some stuff. You're just gonna. Yeah. But serial killers like they 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 play to the game plan. They deviate only when they have to and it you know like it's not about theft. It's not about, you know, like even the trophies that a lot of serial killers take are not valuable items. Mm-hmm. They are they are contextual items. The watch, maybe. Yeah, a watch, uh, a particular item on a mantle, a teddy bear, uh, a, a thing that was in the room where the crime was perpetrated that they that they will as- that they associate with that crime because they will want to relive it in some cases. Wild. Well, it's unexplained. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's scary fully as hell. now explored, but right. Yeah, man. I, I don't know that this one will ever like something so concrete and tangible would have to turn up right for this to like, even if, if you got a letter saying I am the killer, this is my name. I wouldn't believe it. Right. You know, at this point, yeah. I don't even know what, what could turn up to, to be, um, incriminating evidence, you know, right. Like a journal, maybe. Well, even like, like I said, even that, I feel like, uh, people, somebody would just hoax. True. You couldn't even believe that. Yeah. I, I feel like those kinds of people are usually loners anyway. So it's not like there's like a family that this gets passed down through. And what do you mm-hmm. say? Like on, on your deathbed, by the way, it was me. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got the secret. My great uncle was, right? was that killer. Supposed to keep it a secret, but good <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> oh God. YOLO and NOLA. Nola Yolo. <laughs> there you have it. That is the Axeman of New Orleans in a very bloody and, Gross and chiseled dark. nutshell. Oh, no thanks. That's raw dog. All right, Flora. 
I want to I want a lozenge in my throat after that. I've got an awful taste in my uh, mouth. Yeah. Okay. Let's get some palate cleansers going here. Let's open up this great big bag of palate cleansing. <gasps> oh, <laughs> Go. You never hear about the killer's more humane counterpart who was doing good deeds about the same time. In fact, if you if you look any of this up, I don't think you're going to hear about this guy. Just wasn't as popular. wasn't as sexy. It was a man who would sneak into the homes of families by way of unlocked doors, make tea for them, play soothing music, and cover them with blankets at night. Oh, jeez. And then he'd exit, shutting windows and locking the door behind him. It was the. Relax, man of New Orleans. Yes. Yes, I smelled that one. It was rich, like a cooling pie on a windowsill. <laughs> Just there for the hobo's taking. <laughs> You're the hobo. <laughs> I'm the hobo. You know, there's a guy in New Orleans that you could often find him in, you know, uh, dry goods stores, uh, selling his wares, trying to convince people that the future was uh, fine linen uh, chinos and, and pants, you know, like. You don't have to wear jeans all the time with the knees worn out, you know, like when it's time to look nice, you know, everyone was already wearing button up shirts. So that, that was fine, but it was, it was the lower half of the outfits that he was really trying to get people to class up. And they were like, well, what's he's like, they're just pants are pants. And he goes, no, man, these are better. They're classier. They're more dignified. They're for, they're for a, a higher class of person for a special business or, or evenings out. And they finally came around to it, and they were right. Everyone loved how they looked. And he went down in history as the New Orleans slacks man. <laughs> slacks. That's how you know they're good pants. Slacks. Mm, slacks. <laughs> well, there's uh, you, you might have heard about this. There's an Australian extortion tactic practiced on up-and-coming uh, rock bands. The most infamous bands from down under have a sort of mafia going where they try to intimidate young rockers for their own gain. Oh, yeah? It's led by ACDC. Really? Yeah. It's known as the Back in Black Hand. Nice. Florida, you know, we got a new uh, sponsor for the podcast. It's a- uh, Who is it? It's a home furnishing company. Oh, yeah? Yep. Lusa yep, yep. Furniture? What's that? Lusa Furniture? <laughs> so nice Lusa Furniture. No, actually, they, they specialize in uh, high, high security doors that have an old world crafted uh, finish to them. They're made out of- uh, solid core hardwoods with beautiful inset panels there. It's Rene Dupree's Cajun country, unchiselable front and back doors. They're the only old school Bayou made solid core, natural wood doors with beautiful inset panels that you just can't chisel no matter how tr- hard you try. Come on down there, Rene Dupree's <laughs> hardwood chisel doors. Yeah. We'll get you a deal walking out of this door here. This door won't open even if you put your foot in it. <laughs> Rene Dupree. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh. Uh, oh, God, no. <laughs> Them's puns. Them's puns. Now, how about a quick taste of listener mail? I will taste of it. Slake thine thirst. <laughs> My lord. Got a pun from Kyle B. Kyle B. Hello, Kyle He writes, hey, D&D. Hey. Hey, I just listened to your Goatman episode. Whoa, he's deep in the stacks. And he has a pun. Did you hear after the Goatman escaped and attacked that car, the local police reported it as a motor vehicle accident? 
<laughs> wow. Perfect. That was Perfectly a perfect time. Perfect. Cheers, Cowby. Thank you, Cowby. Dave, we've heard from Evil Pebble. Oh, that Pebble. Will it never learn of its dark and disgusting ways? Uh, Evil Pebble said uh, he used to work at Crater Lake National Park and saw something that might bother some flat earthers. <laughs> Was it the crater? <laughs> Was it Earth? <laughs> He says, when you walk down the one trail to the water's surface and look across the water to the farthest edge, which is six miles, when whatever in kilometers, thanks, France, you can't see the shore of the lake. What's up with that? We worked on the shores of the lake for a week looking for invasive plants, binoculars in hand, and when you were on one side, you could never see the shore on the other. The only way that is possible is if the earth is curved. Uh, now see, that's exactly that's exactly what the the elites want you to think. Now I'll tell you right now, this lake that you got here, it's probably got a a haze that's been dropped. Some might by say chemtrails. that haze obscures it. Oh, uh, thank you, you. If you actually go there, you find the water is much too cold to provide those conditions. Well, the haze isn't coming from the lake. You see, this is exactly the liberal neocon domocrat. Uh, approach to this thing. The, the, it is as simple as this. C-120s. I've seen them myself. I've got a lot of friends in the military. They tell me about this. I was just having dinner with them. And they were telling me these C-130s are crossing over day and night, dropping tons and tons of chemicals to try to make us more complacent. And that is why I am offering Complacenex 90-day supply. It is made of the finest ingredients. The only place you can get it is from me because I'm the only person who cares about you. Now, now, this president, oh, bummer, he's going to sell you a whole bunch of fear. He's going to try to tell you to be scared. I'm not here to do that. All I'm asking is, do you love your family? I spent a lot of time listening to Alex Jones last weekend. I resharpened it. It is back and angrier than oh, ever. It is, it is back in black. <laughs> uh, Evil Pebble also says, listening to the GMO episode, he thought about his time with the National Resources Conservation Service, which is a part of the USDA. And remembered that a lot of farmers were subsidized if they strictly were buying Monsanto products. Uh, the NRCS would require that farmers provide receipts proving that they bought their products so they could pay them back 80 cents on the dollar for anything they got from them. This was still not cheaper than buying non-GMO seeds, but seemed pretty shady since Monsanto was specifically named on our paperwork for providing benefits for producers. Hmm... Evil Pebble providing some inside baseball on the old GMO yeah, uh, track there. That's the, kind of cool and creepy and terrible. Santo shadiness. Wow. Thanks for, for both those nuggets, uh, Evil Evil Pebble. Yeah. Got one from Ryan here. Ryan writes, greetings, blurry overlords. Ooh, we just Hi. got a promotion. Hi. It's just a title. There's no pay that comes with it. I shall start with a pun. Not sure if it's been done before. I have a tall, slender, bye-bye-bye friend who likes to get by, likes to get faced every night. We call him Stagger Man. Uh, <laughs> he writes, I regret nothing. Uh, finally got all caught up. <sighs> Highest of fives to you. While listening to the Wendigo episode, Stecco made a very common mistake. God damn it. Uh-oh, buddy. Oh. <laughs> uh, he referenced Bigfoot and Yeti and said they were similar, which I stand by. In fact, the description of a Yeti is more man-bear or ape-bear compared to Bigfoot's man-ape. A, a Yeti is an ape-bear? Uh, ape or man-bear pig compared to Bigfoot's man-ape. Pig. Yeah, man-bear pig. He's totally ethereal. 
Hmm. It seems everyone makes this mistake. Well, there's, they, 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 they are similar. They just are. They're big ape man, bear pigs. They, I stand by, I stand uncorrected, (laughs) uncorrected. It seems everyone makes this mistake. So don't feel bad. I don't couldn't help, but correcting it. (laughs) (laughs) Keep up the hard work and don't stop putting your faithful listener, Ryan, the soul survivor of vault one eleven. PS don't feed the (laughs) Yaoguai. Thanks Ryan. Did you see that they're having, uh, they're going to make gremlin Legos for for the yeah. Lego dimensions. They're make yeah, I saw like saw a little gizmo flying around. They picked some weird shit to really did. to incorporate. Mission Impossible? Yeah, how did that get in? <laughs> Scientology. Oh yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, thanks Ryan. What do you got, Flora? One more here. Got one from Casey Clint. Whoa. <laughs> I feel like every time you say that name, you hear like the dramatic guitar. <laughs> yeah. He's dramatic the- guitar. He's the sheriff of Puntown. Says Dave's Yes. In your most recent episode, Stecco, I'm calling you out. Quoted Bricktop. Unfortunately, he credited it to lock, stock, and two smoking barrels instead of snatch. Was it? What he says, he says, pull your tongue out of my arsehole, Gary. Dogs do that. You're not a dog, are you, Gary? <laughs> well, sh- I easily, yeah, you're 100% right. That is, that is snatch. <laughs> it's all Guy Ritchie. Yeah. He says, my choice for penalty. Uh, love the show. Oh no! I have to go to the box because there's no there's no getting around the fact that I fucked that right up. This ain't this ain't no ape bear man pig dog hyena problem. <laughs> oh man! And now we've made an enemy of Ryan. <laughs> he made an enemy of me. <laughs> His choice. <laughs> he knows. Says, Bang some did. more holes in the Titanic, you bastard. You <sighs> see, Clint. Thank you, Clint. Thanks, Clint. Uh, I got one last one here. I got a pun from Spooky Dookie. <laughs> And she writes, it's important to me personally that I start with the gender pronoun she. Okay. Last weekend, I went on a date. The date started out pretty good, and we went to a nice Indian restaurant, and afterwards, we went on a stroll through the park, ending with us going back to his apartment. Things were going great until I suddenly felt a churning in my guts. I tried to ignore it at first, but I quickly realized it wasn't going to just go away. I excused myself to, quote, freshen up and rush to the bathroom, butt cheeks clenched in fear. As soon as I entered the bathroom, I ran to the toilet. Once I, once I was finally upon the porcelain throne, a loud rumble boomed from the depths of my colon. It was a thunder turd. <laughs> <laughs> Hope this pun hasn't been done already. Oh, no, 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 spooky dookie. Sure hasn't. Yeah. You popped the sure lid off on that one. <laughs> <hasn't>. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you for writing. You guys uh, are glorious. Uh, don't forget... You can help us out. You can go to you iTunes. Can, you can help us. You can, you can, you can, you go can help give us, us five stars. Nice review. <laughs> yeah, we've been getting a lot of great reviews lately. We're so up to three it. Hildos on the we, reviews. We crossed 300 Hildos. No, that's so <laughs> <I> many. <wish. laughs> 300 Revildos. That, Thank you. That's amazing. Thanks. Thanks to everybody who's taken the time to do that. That um, one snuck up on us. I didn't. It's not a metric we really track because it moves right. so ever so slowly. And we're we're dangerously, as of recording, dangerously close to six Hildos on Twitter, which is oh, really cool. That is bl- that is glorious. We I didn't blew know we past good. the twelve Hildo mark on Facebook. So you guys, you guys are running like a well-oiled machine. I loves it. Please do not stop. Like this is Let's the add momentum. Some more cylinders. No, seriously, this is like the momentum that 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 gets picked up by like the most boring things on earth like 
the metrics that they use to guide who gets what or yeah. for you know, like an iTunes, whether or not you're you're listed in other lists and yeah, it's stupid and I think it, it's irritating. But man, that them's is the rules of the game. So let's just try to play it. That's, that's how and we play to win. We do. You win or you die. Yeah. So thank you guys so much. Uh, speaking of of uh, winning, how about Patreon? That's a great way to win. You can win all kinds of fun stuff. And by winning, I mean earning. Yeah. While giving back. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we get stuff. You get stuff. We get stuff. You get stuff in an eternal cycle of two people high-fiving at the top and the bottom of the arms rotation <laughs> around the world. Yeah. Make that tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. We've got, um, we were, it took us a little while because these things take a little while when we scripted out, but we just finished recording our chrononauts episode for, uh, the Patreon backers. So they'll be getting that if they That'll haven't. Actually, yeah, time dilation. They put, I, they should have gotten. Yeah. Gosh, I hope they've gotten <laughs> by now. <laughs> let's 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 just tie. Let's just uh, pin you into a corner on this one for <laughs> right, us. I, you've already received it. I, um, done it to myself. And then uh, for last month's uh, Patreon, they I think we're going to do a little, a little yeah. on little. on Egyptian mythology. Yep, uh, Flora. Just by way of a teaser for anyone who's not currently a patreon backer what were our two uh commercial sponsors for this episode for the uh for, for the, the chrononauts? chrononauts it was uh <laughs> one was mr flaky's instant cake mix yeah that's right <laughs> mr flaky's more or less completely sexist instant cake mix yeah um mr flaky's uh super 50s <laughs> yeah <laughs> sexist announcer uh and then the other was the the Mentaro <laughs> Brothers Hoagie Palace. Mentaro Brothers in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys. They Home got of a, the massive sandwich. They got a lot of big sandwiches there. <laughs> uh, so I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, yeah. So we're, the, the the Patreon backers get uh, a tiny little uh, cool extra sewed every month. Yep. The $5 uh, level. Yeah. If you're a $20 level, you get to hang out with us live. That's right. We well, have- on, on the computer. <laughs> You get to show up at our house whenever you want, <laughs> unbidden and unasked for. You'll receive a key in the mail. Use it when you want. <laughs> Come in while we're sleeping. Oh, bad timing. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got the the live cast for that. That's that we had a ton of fun with that last month. Uh, I was dressed in a suit that will never happen again, and uh, Flora was not dressed in a suit that will also never happen again. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, if you were on the live cast, you can help Flora pick his new tattoo that he finally decided to get. Dave said, Dave promised he'd get me a car. When is that car coming, Dave? Flora, come on, man. You are obviously you, just you told making me- this car up right now. We've been talking about this tattoo for a long time, dude. Checkmate. <laughs> Why couldn't I have thought of that? <laughs> um, let's see what else we got. Uh, if, if a monthly jam isn't how you like to roll. Why don't you just like uh, get yourself some daily marmalade? Yeah, get some Elvis style karate and <laughs> look out, mama! Punch that donate button. Punch it, punch it hard. Oh, <laughs> TCB. Yeah. TCB. Oh, um. Uh, also, fun, fun, <laughs> uh, and amazing fact that hit us in the lap today, <laughs> as as of recording this. Uh-huh. Check out our Twitter feed. One of our glorious listeners operates his own tattoo shop and decided. What the f***? Why not get the blurry photos logo tattooed on me? So he did. It's on Twitter. It's on our Twitter feed. Check it out. We are now officially emblazoned upon flesh. That's right. Whoa. That is true. He has dedicated more. He he has demonstrated more dedication to blurry photos than we have. (laughs) 
<laughs> then we're yeah. then we are uh, uh, yeah. afraid to to do. So that is that is amazing. We talked to him on the phone. He's the coolest ever. So high five to you. Yeah, uh, and and his handle, if you're looking for it on our Twitter, Twitter is at Two Kings Tattooing. Oh uh, yeah, Sel- self administered with some sort of contorted position to get to the back of his own leg. Yep. Sometimes with the left hand. Yeah, high degree Often. of difficulty, people. Very high degree. We're humbled and, and yes, humbled is a good word. Verily humbled by it. So thank you all very much for this episode of Blurry Photos. Oh, oh, get yeah. in the driver's seat. I did. I did. I pushed you. Rolling on the highway now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Dave. I'm David. Flora. <laughs> <laughs> Well, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Chicago Podcast Co-op. Oh, thanks for remembering that. All their glorious support. And- way, to, way, to, way to refuse to let me pull that into the station. Way to make sure that I was that's- clinging to the roof of the I know. car. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Remember me, motherfucker? <laughs> thanks, Chicago Podcast Cooperative. Oh, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> But go go and check out all the amazing podcasts that uh, we have on there. Yes, um, in the cooperative, and thanks as always to Cards Against Humanity for uh, putting up, putting together that merry little gang of ruffians. Yep, and and putting up with us. They're the Fagin to our our collective Olivers. Please, sir, may I have some more? <laughs> I'd like more bandwidth, please. <laughs> more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, for this episode of Blurry Photos. Oh, is it time now? Well, I've pushed you back over. God, I want to throw this at your balls. You have a problem. (laughs) I do. I fight it every day. You have a real problem. (laughs) It's a real problem. Who are you, Flora? I am David. Don't ask my middle name, Flora. (laughs) And I'm Dave Harry Mouth Stecco. You wait for it. You wait for it. Follow the money. Shikung! 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 Bye! <laughs> <laughs>